We do not want word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. Throughout history, whenever great injustices existed, youth movements have risen up to combat and end those injustices. You have organizations out there like the Center for Bioethical Reform. The Center for Bioethical Reform. Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform. Organizations like the Center for Bioethical Reform to receive public funds when they then use to attack a woman's right to choose. Abortion kills all kinds of people, so then all kinds of people can join the pro-life movement to save these babies. I was talking to a young man on the streets of Toronto. I spoke with a woman named Lucy about abortion. Today we were doing choice chain in downtown Regina. By the end of the conversation, she was completely pro-life. He then walked away 100% pro-life. Completely pro-life. We should remember that each of those babies that die every day in Canada not only have the right to life that's being violated, they also have the right to artifacts. Hello everyone, and welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys. I hope you are shocked to have heard that opening line. That opening line is a quote from the one and only Margaret Sanger, founder of Planned Parenthood. Uh, for, for many, it's a beloved organization, and for many, it is an organization that has killed so many people. Um... And so many black people, which is uh, one of the things that we want to talk about today. We're extremely excited for the guests that we have on. Uh, but before we get there, I'd like to uh, say hello once again to my co-host, the wonderful Cameron Cote. Hey, sir. Hey, Peter. It is good to be back. It is good to be joined by a, a mutual friend of ours, Sam, um, who you know much better than I do. I had the great privilege of meeting him last year, I want to say, for the first time during the Ontario staff retreat. I, as an Alberta guy, got a special invite because I'm one of the managers at CCBR. Um, and it was super neat to get to know Sam a little bit, um, talk about books. He does a ton of reading. I do a ton of reading. We read very different stuff. He is a much smarter man than I am. He does a lot of nonfiction reading. Most of the stuff that I pound through is fiction stuff um, because I love the being able to understand characters and project stuff from characters into the real world, all that kind of stuff. But I, I digress. I'm excited to be here and I'm excited to have this conversation with Sam Say. Yes, likewise. For those of you who are new to the show, we are the Pro-Life Guys podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Who are we? We are two guys who are passionate about ending the killing of pre-born children in Canada and, and around the world, but we live in Canada. <laughs> and this is a podcast dedicated to giving you the tools that you need to change minds and save lives from abortion. Without further ado, let's dive right in. I'd like to introduce to you Samuel Say. He is our colleague, a staff member here at the Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform, the organization we work for. He's the Eastern Community Liaison, uh, does a whole bunch of things, uh, connects with churches, and gets them involved in the movement. He's also a blogger at slowtowrite.com. Every Friday comes out with a new blog, so check him out there. Um, but let's uh, let's let's get into this conversation. Sam, thank you so much for joining us on the program. Thank you for having me, man. Yeah, no, we're we're excited to have you on. But uh, to start us off, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, and then specifically how you got involved in the pro life movement and why you got involved in the pro life movement? Mm. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, 
as you already said, my name is Samuel Say, and um, I am, you know, well, I've been, I joined CCBR as an intern in 2018 um, for the summer internship, uh, which was, uh, yeah, I, it's easily one of the highlights of my life. I, I enjoyed that uh, a lot, which is why I ended up becoming, um, you know, um, becoming part of the staff at CCBR, joining um, as a community liaison for the Eastern Outreach um, Department. And um, it's been, it's, it's hard to believe it's been, you know, I guess two years since I joined the pro-life movement. I never imagined I would join the pro-life movement. Um, you know, for a long time, I've been appreciating, um, you know, what the pro-life movement has been doing to save so many babies, but I never imagined that I would be part of it just because um, I, I didn't think I could ever be equipped to be able to speak to people about it. But then that's what the internship did, where it equipped me to get more comfortable and uh, more confident in addressing um, these issues to a variety of people. Um, but particularly, I joined the pro-life movement because many years ago, um, when I was 18 years old, a, a friend of mine that I was very close to at the time um, called me uh, just randomly in the middle of the night and um, asked me what I thought was a hypothetical or random question at the time. Um, her and I were very prone to just asking each other those kind of questions, just random questions. What would you do if this and that were to happen and things like that? And she'd asked me, uh, Sam, what would you say to a girl considering an abortion? And I just, you know, again, I thought it was a random hypothetical question. So I just said, I don't know. And a year later, I learned that a few days after that question, um, she got an abortion. And that that wrecked me um and you know then throughout that I, I always wanted to and i would learn you know theologically when i became a christian after that i theologically i knew how to address the question uh biblically but outside of the christian context i didn't know how to talk to people about it from a scientific or um, human rights perspective so as i started you know the other thing i do is i blog um and you know, I blog at a place, you know, at a website, uh, my website called Slow to Write. And as I was writing about, I write particularly about culture issues and politics and things like that from a black perspective, um, you know, black Canadian or black American perspective. And um, as I was addressing these issues, especially as it relates to Black Lives Matter, when they emerged in 2014, 2015, um, I realized more and more that the biggest issue facing black people um, is not necessarily the perception of systemic racism, but it's abortion. It's destroying so many black lives, including my friend's, um, my friend's child uh, who was killed, um, 13 years ago now. So that's how I got involved in the pro-life movement. And, uh, that's what I do now. So I work for CCBR and I also blog at slowtoright.com. Nice. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, there's a few questions that came to my mind when you were saying that, but, but just going to your friend's child uh, who lost uh, his or her life at the hands of an abortionist, you said 13 years ago. Um, if you could look back today, uh, you know, we, you know, on this podcast, we, we share with people how to talk to others about abortion. Uh, we share with them some of the tools that we use when we're on the streets but a lot of people don't think, you know, I'm not going to be in the pro-life movement. I'm not going to be doing on-the-street activism. 
you know, I'm not going to be intentional in this because, you know, I have a job and a family and, and everything else. But I think what, what you what you highlight there is that that abortion conversation can come up at any point. Like you don't have to be looking for it, but it's going to come up there. There might be friends or family members uh, or just people within your social circles who are thinking about abortion or perhaps have had abortion or anything like that. So if you could look back, Sam, and you could have a conversation with yourself prior to the conversation you had with your friend, what would you what would you tell yourself? Hmm. What would you what would you tell the younger Sam uh, to prepare for this conversation? Hmm. So not to my friend, but to my younger self about how to talk to my younger friend. Yeah, yeah. Like, how would you prepare yourself for that conversation? Okay. That's a great question. That's almost like an inception just to get into my mind. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that's great. Yeah. Well, what I would tell my myself then would be to become passionate to that friend. To I know now that unfortunately it was actually one of my close friends, her boyfriend, who was pressuring her into getting an abortion. So what she needs from me then is for not for me to just give her facts, which are obviously so, so important but also just to love her um, because she's not being loved by my other friend. So to love her and by being sincere and letting her know that I'm grateful that she feels, you know, that she feels safe by asking me, by asking me that because clearly she was coming to me, um, you know, as a cry for help. So letting her know how much I love her and how much I appreciate her for telling me that, but then also indeed giving her, what really happens in an abortion, which is that um, if she if she were to get the abortion, she would be killing that child. And that child already, I don't know exactly how old that child was, but that child is a human, a human life already. And then by, be, then by being a human life, that child deserves human rights. So then I would need to, I would tell myself, remind her, about what she already believes about human rights, you know? So then I would ask her a lot of the same questions that we know the human rights argument, right? That, um, you know, does she really believe and affirm in human rights and then go through all those questions. And then when she, by going through the human rights argument, you know, so again, just to repeat it, cause I'm, I don't know, maybe some of our audience may not have not heard of the uh, human rights argument yet, but it would be deep in human rights. Naturally she would say yes, who deserves human rights? Then she would say, um, you know, all people. Then I would say, well, if two people produce, what would their offspring be? Then she would say, uh, human. And then I would say, okay, can something grow without being alive? Then they would say, no. Then I would then say, okay, well, then from what you said, by from that, from your own words, then that an abortion is a human rights violation. So starting from there, then she might think, okay, well, I might agree with that, right? I agree that, yes, this human, my child deserve human rights, but I'm struggling here. Um, I'm being pressured. My parents definitely do not, don't want to approve of this. I may agree because I know we might talk about this later on, but in Africa, uh, and my friend was Ghanaian or is Ghanaian. She didn't stop being Ghanaian. <laughs> <laughs> my friend is Ghanaian and um, in Ghana, 92% of Ghanaians believe that abortion is wrong. And yet there's a shocking number of uh, Ghanaian babies being aborted in Ghana every year. So though they might, she might know that it's true, I would then tell myself, okay, after giving all, all that, 
how do I, how do I let her know that those facts should make her love the baby more, that she would want to save that baby instead of letting an abortionist kill that baby, which would then be for me to tell her that life is incredibly hard and we make some hard, hard choices. And so I'll, 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 I'll share this with you. Um, you know, naturally, you know, um, you know, we, we do, um, you know, choice chain a lot and we speak to a lot of people and every time I speak to, uh, especially young girls, um, you know, who were the same age as my friend, I oftentimes remember my friend's uh, story. And then when they say, uh, yeah, I, I know I, Abortion is wrong, but if I were unprepared, I don't want to get an abortion. And then I always tell them, well, what does that mean? What is the implication of that? When you say you're not prepared, what are you really saying? What you're saying is you don't think you're strong enough. And, um, you know, women are strong. And I have times to talk about my mom's story where when she got pregnant with me, um, (laughs) my dad, you know, had threatened and, you know, threatened to leave her and he ended up leaving her. So I didn't know my dad. Um, I don't know my dad. And my mom kept me because she, and she's told me this, that she knew that by the grace of God, she was strong enough to overcome that. And she didn't want to be a weak woman. Um, you know, so anyway, so it would be for me to tell, I would tell myself that let her know all the facts about, you know, that it's a human rights violation. Let them know the science. Let them know theologically what the Bible says uh, about, about abortion. But also to encourage her to know that she can overcome this. Um, you know, life is about overcoming challenges and she can overcome this and giving that child, um, you know, the right and then also the love. And if she can't keep that child, I will tell her to that just give it up for adoption as well. That's awesome, Sam. I I mean, there's so much there to unpack. Um, but I, I think it's beautiful how basically you integrate what, what at CCBR we often call in, and Peter and I, pro-life guys as well, we'll often call that the head apart of apologetics and the heart apologetics that so often somebody might only go down one route or the other right they'll they'll only talk about the facts they're confronted by somebody who's contemplating abortion and say oh well your child has these um developmental markers they've, they've already developed a heartbeat and this and this and this and this and it's wrong it's it's objectively wrong all this kind of stuff and only focus about um the development of the child or there's others and, and peter and i have talked about this on on several occasions who feigning compassion or not being equipped to actually kind of empower with true love like like you conveyed to say oh you know what i'm going to support you whatever you decide i'm here for you i just like like talk to me and and i'm i'm going to help you out whatever you choose that kind of thing thinking that that's true compassion kind of thing where where that's really only surface level compassion not empowering that woman not empowering that mother and yeah letting her know that she can overcome whatever challenges she's got that she can um, tap into strength that she might not even know is there with the support of her community, support of people like you, friends that that are willing to kind of help her through whatever it is that she's going to have to navigate sort of thing. And and so combining those two head and heart kind of aspects in conversation. Um, and I'm sure that you've probably had lots of conversations like that, right? Through through activism, through um, the, the Slow to Write blog and whatnot, the interactions that you have with your uh, readership and just encouraging them not to only go down one angle, not just learn the facts about what abortion does to a preborn child, but also not just go down the route of trying to solve every problem and 
be the be all end all for for somebody who's in hard circumstances but kind of coupling those two together if that makes sense Mm -hmm. all right sam uh, at the beginning of the show at the beginning of this episode we opened up with a quote by margaret sanger and this is what she said i'll say it again we do not want word to go out that we want to exterminate the negro population and for those who know margaret sanger they would know that she uh was the founder of planned parenthood um, and try to get Planned Parenthood clinics in um, black communities, in minority communities across the United States. And one of the claims that I've heard many times is that um, th- there's a dis- disproportionate amount of preborn black children that, uh, that lose their lives to abortion. Um, is that true? I, I mean, like if, if Planned Parenthood certainly at its inception was focusing on killing black children, is that something that we still see today, Sam, a, a disproportionate amount of abortions happening in the black communities? Absolutely. Um, in, in America, there are more in, in New York, particularly, there are more black babies being aborted than they are being born. Right. That is, <laughs> I, every time I think about that, I, I, it's devastating, right? That's in New York. In America, um, as a whole, you um, so Black Americans represent um, roughly they make up only about twelve percent of the population. They represent about thirty to thirty-five percent of the abortions, which means there are three hundred thousand Black babies being murdered every year, being killed every year. That is, so that you definitely, definitely have a disproportionate number of black babies being uh, aborted in America. And a lot of, you know, so in, in, in the New Girl Project that you mentioned, uh, you know, um, from Margaret Sanger, she actually recognized that using black pastors uh, was actually a very helpful way of um, pushing the, um, at the time, it was the Genesis idea, but then over time, it also became the abortion uh, agenda in the Black communities, where you have a lot of churches these days who are either promoting abortion or just ignoring it. So they, so I told you earlier about my friend. She and I went to the same church, but she didn't go to the pastors about it. She came to me instead because, unfortunately, th- these issues, though we know it's being is very prevalent in the Black church, it's not really being addressed. And if when it is being addressed, oftentimes it's actually being promoted. Um, and the thing is also here in Canada, you know, we don't have the the data because our government doesn't make that available to us. We don't know how many black babies are really being aborted in the country. However, a lot of the social patterns and social challenges that black Americans face are also being faced by black Canadians. There's actually an identical. Uh, So concerning things like fatherlessness, uh, high school or college dropout rates, crime, a lot of uh, social behaviors, a lot of those disparities and disproportionate numbers are very much identical in black uh, to black Canadians as it is in black um, to black Americans. So because of that, we know there's also, and just naturally how a lot of these abortion um, activists or abortion providers, they tend to target black communities anyways. We know that 
the numbers are also very, very, very high amongst Black Canadians also in our country. So absolutely, there's a very high um, number of uh, abortions uh, in Black communities and a very disproportionate number. You you mentioned Black Lives Matter uh, a little bit earlier. And so we as pro-lifers will look at these numbers, we'll look at the disproportionate amount of uh abortions happening and we see concern with that. Well, we see concern with any abortion number that is higher than zero. Um, but specifically for the black community, Sam, like does, does black lives matter an organization that seeks, um, by what they say to, um, make the black experience better in the United States. Do they look at these numbers and see an issue as well? Or where do they stand when it comes to this, this huge, you know, disproportionate amount of, of abortions happening in their very own communities. They're actually very proud of those numbers. Very proud of those numbers. Why, why is that? That's because they see babies as an obstacle to their agenda. So on their website, they've talked about how they want to essentially destroy. They've removed it now because they've been getting a lot of backlash from a lot of um, you know strong Black leaders, especially in America. But uh, on their website, they initially had it as they want to destroy the nuclear family, and they wanted to remove essentially the father from the home, and which also then would naturally lead to uh, removing babies out of the womb as well. So um, they have a very Marxist agenda that is very anti-family, and so because of that, they very much promote and are very proud of these abortion numbers because, especially, so Black Lives Matter is heavily, heavily into, uh, I slow down for this word all the time, it's a mouthful, but they're very heavily into intersectionality, right? So that very much, they make the black woman as the, um, they, they, they see black women as the core group, I, you know, the, the, the most, now, of course, you know, we love all people, right? We love black women, we love everybody, right? But they, they think that if black women do not have the you know the, the so-called right or really privilege to get an abortion that will hold black women back who many times are um you know are are being pressured um into being the leaders of their home because of so many black men not being in the home so they see abortion as a necessary um and righteous thing to do to protect black women. Now we know, of course, that's not true, right? Um, encouraging black women or any woman to kill their babies isn't going to free that woman. It's, it's only going to hurt them. So the example I mentioned earlier, my friend to this day is very, very uh, regretful of her abortion. She it's it's destroyed her. Um, she wrecked. She knows. She knows, and she cries out that. Um, you know, that she lost a baby because she went to an abortion clinic and they killed her baby. But yeah, Black Lives Matter, they very much promote uh, abortion. They're very proud of these uh, numbers. I, I'm sure that this is a, a very far-reaching question. I don't know if you'd have a, a concise answer or, or even, even be able to unpack it a little bit for us. You mentioned earlier that um, in Ghana, um, something like 92%, 93% of people are opposed to abortion. I've worked with similar communities in Canada that will identify as being predominantly pro-life, and yet abortion is very prevalent in those societies, um, in, in those communities and whatnot. And I, I wonder if you could unpack a little bit more that idea of 
it being so prevalent in the black community of people being kind of intellectually, I guess, I, I don't know if that's quite the right word, but being like personally against abortion of intellectually against abortion, it's a terrible, terrible thing. And yet those really high abortion rates, I, I don't know if that makes sense. I know that you've kind of touched on this already, but just kind of that kind of unpacking that, how does that happen? How do you have a community that is when, when asked on, on whether it's a poll or a survey or even just in public, oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally pro-life. And then, oh, but I've had one or two or, or more abortions already, but I think abortion is a terrible thing. Can you, can you kind of unpack that a little bit within the black community and, and how that is kind of either rationalized or, or understood, I, I guess? Yeah, no, that's a great question. When you know something is wrong, it should and can oftentimes change your behavior. But if it's not being, if it's, if it's, if it's something that you only think of it yourself, if it, and it's not being addressed in your most influential environments, you can have some, you can have a form of a cognitive dissonance from that when you have to make very hard choices. And I think that's what's happening with the high abortion rate in so many black communities where they're very much opposed abortion, but yet, unfortunately, Black Lives Matter and the culture is also teaching them to value something, you know, something like, well, you know, uh, if you have a baby, you're not going to, to, you know, you're not going to be able to have economic freedom. And yeah, so they will say, well, abortion is wrong, but that's not being addressed from the pulpit in their churches. It's not being addressed by their parents. They don't, like, we don't talk, when I say we, I mean, black people, we don't talk about abortion a lot. We don't. So though we all, many of us agree that abortion is wrong, when it's not being talked about, you will end up, um, you know, when, when, when a temptation comes to do it, you're going to be more likely to be more committed to what you're prone to hearing all the time, which is you as a black woman, you should get the abortion because it will help you out in life. And I think that's what's happening here. So which is why CCBR and the pro-life movement, we're doing, we're doing, you know, uh, we're doing well in this area, but we can do better in, uh, I mean, the, the pro-life movement as a whole in reaching out to these communities where they we will be the only voice that will affirm what they know to be true. And when you know, as we know, we know, right? Affirmation and knowing, hey, look, abortion is wrong. Reminding them that is a powerful thing because, um, you know, you can you can go to, you know, when you get pregnant, you can say, yeah, that's wrong. But then again, when you have the bills and you have your boyfriend pressuring you, you have your parents pressuring you sometimes, even though they, they will tell you it's wrong, or you have a, also these are oftentimes, especially in African communities, it's a very kind of, um, honor shame culture, and you're afraid of how your parents will react to you in that, in that manner. Um, if you're not, if you're not hearing other voices that will encourage you to to do what you know is right, you're going to oftentimes fall prey to uh, the pro-abortion rhetoric. Yeah, and and it, in some ways, it makes me think about conversations that I've had with people who have told me, you know, what I'm Christian. I think abortion is terrible, but I, I've had an abortion or I, I would have an abortion because I know that God will forgive me of that, that that, that baby's going to be with God. And 
I just can't provide a good life for them right now. And I know that God, I know it's a bad thing. I know that I'll be forgiven by it because God is merciful and, and that baby's going to be with Jesus. And I'm just going to, um, hope that my situation is better. And so I, I guess a question that I'd be curious in, in your take on it, because Peter, I, I'm sure you and I face this on, on the street regularly. We have people, we ask, Hey, what, what do you think about abortion? And they'll say, well, I'm pro-life. And, and the temptation for a lot of people is to just be like, Oh, that's great. Um, have a great day. And, and just let them walk on their way. And, and while I'm, I'm sure that we're not, I'm not, not I'm sure, I, we definitely don't want to encourage our listeners to be trying to profile people as they're walking up as to this is the specific answer I want to give to this person. But like, generally speaking, I guess, but also from your insight within the black community, how would you either challenge that statement, oh, I'm pro-life, or, or I, I think abortion's bad. How does that conversation go when somebody just kind of gives you that initial response how do you really mine into that to make sure that they would never actually have an abortion, that nobody in their circle or sphere of influence would have that abortion? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. And I, I, I do this with every group because um, so, it's applicable to every group. But I always say in every case, and then so they might say yes. And then I'll, I will intentionally give them a very specific example, um, you know, which is where I'll say, okay, this is where we use that kind of um, common analogy, um, you know, question where I would ask them, okay, well, what if um, you have a, a friend of yours and I'll, you know, say if it's a black person, yeah, you have this, you know, uh, this black uh, young girl, um, she is in an abusive relationship. She's poor. Her parents are poor. Uh, now, of course, not every black person is poor, right? But, but you know, but you know, your 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 dress, of course, the the scenarios where people might be more inclined to think that abortion is right. And then I just say, well, if your friend comes to you and says to you that here is what they're dealing with, they're in this horrible, horrible environment, and they you get pregnant, what do you do? And then that's when oftentimes they will reveal their inconsistencies or the their ideological beliefs about abortion but yet when it comes to the practical element um they'll say well, well in that case i can see it so just at probing more personal questions mm. is very helpful but specifically to black people what i will oftentimes say to them is i'll be honest i that you know there, there are times where I will some so just just a few days ago, uh, well not a few days, sorry, a few weeks ago, I was doing choice chain and you had there was this black uh, couple that one of them actually well the man came and kicked my sign initially, and then they were just yelling at me and everything and um, I'm like what are you guys doing, like don't you know why I'm here? I'm here because there's so many black babies being being killed, and I'm pleading with them like what are you doing? What are you doing? And then as he's getting angry and angry and angry, he's like, I asked him, okay, well, why are you angry? And he said, well, I'm angry because you're showing babies being murdered. Those were his exact words. And I was like, Do you hear, did you hear yourself? I said, you just said exactly what you know to be true. And then he said, well, that's not what I said. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. He backed up. He backed up. <laughs> the point is, is that people oftentimes know truth we we know what abortion is right we know very very few people i think are really convinced that a fetus is not a, a human baby um I, i'm saying a few because i guess it could be but naturally logically we would all agree that this is um a you know a human life 
The problem is we want to reject it because then oftentimes we've actually, we've had abortions ourselves or we've had relatives had abortions too. So anyway, with that black couple, I just said to them, guys, you're angry at me for doing a lot of what our, um, a lot of what black, black heroes in the past did when it comes to slavery or the civil rights movement, where we're now in a position where we are doing very much the same thing that Margaret Sanger would want us to do. And I think oftentimes addressing the historical um, aspects to all this as it concerns to slavery and the civil rights movement, and to show people that this reasoning, this rejection of what we know to be true, um, as I mean, for example, and sometimes you can get yourself in trouble for, for this, but you gotta make sure you nuance it well, which is that you know people will say to me some I, many times a lot of my my black friends will say to me but yeah Sam you know abortion is wrong but we don't really want to tell people what to do with their bodies and all that and I just say well you hearing yourself that sounds very similar to what a lot of white people were saying about about slavery like we tend to forget that there were a lot of people out there who said yeah you know slavery is not ideal it's not good I disagree with it but I don't really want to address it. So anyways, oftentimes I'll, I'll talk about that to remind them as to what abortion really is, being an injustice and being a human rights violation. Gotcha. 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 That, that makes a ton of sense. And and one thing, one last thing I'll, I'll pick your brain on before. I know Peter's got a couple of questions about um, Canada exporting abortion to, to Africa and other other nations and whatnot. I, I'd be curious on your take. One thing that I've I've found in conversation, sometimes I'll, when I'm talking to people who are pro-life, I'll try to walk through, okay, what, what would you do if a friend of yours was in this situation and we talked through all the help that they'd want to offer and all the, the advice and guidance and all that kind of thing. And then I try to change pace and I say, okay, well, what would happen if it wasn't your friend, but you? You talked about all the help that you would want to provide to your friend. You talked about all of the support that you would want to offer and and helping them with whatever they asked for, all that kind of stuff. How would you feel about it if you were in the situation? Would you feel comfortable asking for help? Would you feel comfortable being supported by the people around you? And I find it so interesting that a lot of people that I talk to have a very very different response to that. Whether it's our our sinful pride, whether it's something else, I, I don't know. This idea of being willing to ask for help and and receive help, I guess, as well. This idea of I'm willing to give help to anybody around me who needs it, but I'm completely uncomfortable receiving help from anybody or asking for help. And so if I was in that situation, oh, wow, well, I I wouldn't want to tell my parents because I wouldn't um, want to be a burden on them. And I wouldn't want to ask my friends for help, and all this kind of stuff. Maybe I'd be more inclined towards the abortion. And I find it so interesting how willing people are to help those out around them, willing to to be that great pro-life friend, but not willing to be a recipient of any of that support. And I wonder if that's at all relevant or or anything that you've seen within the black community of people who are very, very willing to help out. Um, I, I know that in my church here in Calgary, uh, we we have a, a fairly small black community within it, but I mean, they they run everything in the church, right? Like they're, they're the ones who are doing the, the, the church potlucks and the um, feed the hungry, the, the clothe the poor, all that kind of thing. And, and is that, have you ever seen that in, in your community, in the black community of people who are willing to go 
not only the extra mile, but 10 extra miles for anybody who would need help, but be reluctant to receive help themselves if they themselves are in a hard situation. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah, that's actually a, a great question. And so you're you're asking that as it applies to every case, not just abortion, but just mm-hmm. every case. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's honestly even true of me. Um, I think in especially the African context, um, being an individual and kind of keeping things within your own family or within your own heart and not asking for help is a way of perseverance that we kind of um, pride ourselves on, that I can do this myself. And that can be very healthy in some scenarios, but sometimes it can easily be a form of pride. Um, And, you know, it's, so yeah, so that's very much true where, you know, we tend to be, um, especially as, you know, Ghanaians, um, you know, being a Ghanaian, we are very giving, we're very supportive, but we oftentimes don't want that. Um, so there's, for example, I always talk about this before. I think I've mentioned this to Peter before, where sometimes when someone is offering you something, what you're supposed to do traditionally is to say no. Like, even if you want it, you say no, 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 because it's what you're expected to do. And, um, you know, that, again, there is a humility to that um, in terms of not wanting to receive everything, but oftentimes, ironically, it becomes a source of pride where you're saying, no, 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 you don't need to receive anything because then you don't want that kind of handout. You want to be the one to overcome everything. And again, that can be very helpful in some situations or in moderation, but oftentimes when we do need help, uh, you need to be doing that. Now, the thing is, we will do that within our families. Right. We, we rely very much on our families. But when you go outside of your family, it could be very much it's heavily frowned upon to receive help from outside of that. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's a big part of that as well. Sam, you talked a little bit earlier about the voices that uh, the black community hears. And often the voice that they don't hear is um, the voice against abortion. Well, we've heard the saying before that money talks. Um, and I'm just thinking about. Some of the Western countries that, like like Cam mentioned, try to export abortion to different places in the world, like Africa. I think about uh, about Canada, and last year, this is this is from the CBC. Our Prime Minister Justin Trudeau pledged to increase international aid for women's health to 1.4 billion dollars annually, with half of that dedicated to ensuring women have access to quote unquote safe abortions and reproductive health health services worldwide. We see Joe Biden right now um, vowing that if he becomes the president of the United States, if he takes office, uh, he is going to uh, most likely strike down the Mexico City policy, a policy that, um, yeah, blocks U.S. federal funding for abortions and, um, yeah, just blocks expanding abortion services worldwide. Uh, so, we, we see some of these Western leaders trying to get abortion uh, to be like a, a regular part of, quote unquote, healthcare in places like uh, like Africa and places like Ghana. So I guess I have two questions uh, when it comes to that. Number one, like what level of rage do you uh, do you experience when you think about these things? And number two, why do you think it is like why do you think um, leaders like Justin Trudeau are so invested in coming to your community in Ghana? and pushing, like with billions of dollars, and pushing abortion to the people who are there? Level of rage. (laughs) 
<sighs> um, it's infuriating to me. Especially because in our, today's climate, a lot of people talk about how Western society is a white supremacist. They denounce almost everything about Western society except for <laughs> except for abortion and how they're funding abortions in Africa. Well, that that's okay. That that's good Western uh, society. Um, that's what a lot of people are saying. It's infuriating because, so I, I, I interviewed, um, um, Okocha, actually, uh, the author of Target Africa and, uh, the documentary, uh, she put in a documentary, uh, named, uh, No Strings Attached, or I think Strings, Strings Attached, actually. No, sorry, it's Strings Attached. And I told her, as we were talking about how saddened I was that in Ghana, there are 50,000 abortions a year in a country of 28 million people and she said oh no sam it cannot be 50,000 at all it's much more than that check it out i checked it out and i was shocked it's not it's nowhere near $50,000 sorry 50,000 people it's not even 100,000 people it's 200,000 babies that actually is four times the rate of abortion in canada and america four times the rate now the thing is in in ghana abortion is only legal if it's in the case of um, rape incest um, or if the mom has a a physical or um, or psychological um, problem that they that they would think makes abortion uh, abortion justifiable. Now we know while we love the mom, um, while we want women to be healthy in any way, we know that you never ever need to get an abortion um, to save the mom in any fashion at all. Um, but that's how it's supposed to be, and yet you have officially. Officially, so in Ghana, still the report that there are fifty thousand babies being killed. Officially, and I assume most of this are the quote unquote legal abortions where it fits into that criteria. The other a hundred and fifty thousand are being, um, you know, made, these abortions are being done by Planned Parenthood International and Mary Stopes International, and they are illegal in Ghana. So here you have. Justin Trudeau's, um, you know, Justin Trudeau sending out all this taxpayer money. By the way, Obianujo um, Kocha, she labels uh, Justin Trudeau the number one exporter of abortions in, in the world because he's giving out the most money by far to more than any other group, more than any other nation um, to uh, fund abortions. We have all money being sent to these organizations to illegally kill black babies. So it's immoral and it's also illegal, but they don't care because they want to force their ideas in Africa. Now, the other question was, why? Why do they want to do this? Well, a lot of it comes from population control. 
where they believe that Africa needs to be, you know, Africa's population is too high and they need to control it. Now, someone, someone might think, well, why would they even care? That's not their country. Well, one of the sad realities of Africa is Africa is highly, highly dependent on foreign aid, highly. For some, in some countries, 50% of their federal budget is produced or funded by foreign aid. So when that happens, the, you know, the, the Western nations have complete control over what they can establish in that country because the, the fear is, well, if they don't produce, um, that, if, that if, the, if the African nations reject and try to fight back, well, then they will lose foreign aid. So then they just stay quiet. So in Ghana, they know that 150,000 Ghanaians are being aborted illegally, but they won't do anything about it. They won't go to Planned Parenthood. They won't go to Mary Stopes and say anything about it. Because by doing so, they will lose a lot of funding in general, including uh, Mary Stokes, sadly, contributing to the economy in Ghana by killing babies. It's horrible. It's horrible. But that is what is happening here. And by doing that, a lot of these African, a lot of these um, Western nations then also have an opening to um, for trade in Africa. Right. And that is a major factor. So all these things are not it's not free. Justin Trudeau and the Western nations are not just doing this to, you know, in their mind to help women. Of course not. They know what they're doing is illegal, which oftentimes in Ghana actually leads to a very high rate of um, complications with abortions because it's made it's illegal and it's not being tracked. That you actually have a lot of women who, who die and who suffer some really serious diseases or illnesses after uh, the abortions. But by doing this, by offering all this, quote unquote, you know, for, uh, foreign aid to Ghana or other African nations, they then have a, um, a greater access to a lot of the uh, natural resources that Africa um, can provide to the West. And that is what's happening. That's the reasoning behind it. Hmm. I, I had honestly never even thought about that as a... Um a reason behind this support. I, I also, and, and I don't know if this is linked at all. I, I spent more and more time over the last couple of months. I used to do this all the time in university as well for um, NGOs and whatnot, like Amnesty International that um, from my understanding, um, Amnesty International in particular is a major supporter of abortion and they often try to link things together. They, they ran this campaign a couple of years ago. Um, I believe that was very focused on the empowerment of women in Africa. And this idea that, you know, the reason why we don't have as many great architects and, and um, engineers and scientists and doctors and whatever coming out of Africa is because these women are becoming pregnant so young. Um, we want the advancement of these people. Maybe they're peddling the same lives to the government organization. But, but this idea of, you know, we want people to be living in a better, quote unquote, quality of life. Um, something that, that seems like a very noble aim, something that a lot of different foreign aid um, entities are working on to provide clean water and, and all sorts of things like that. But this, we want this conclusion or this, this end, but we're going to achieve it by killing the children and providing contraception um, and, and abortion because sure, logically um, people are going to have more money if you kill their children, because children do cost money to provide for, and people are going to get, 
more education, arguably, if they're not at home looking after children, that kind of thing. What do you say to people who might say, you know what, if if we're going to ever see Africa come into the first first world sort of thing, they need to stop having children. I'm sure that I, I, I can only imagine how offensive that would be. Somebody saying that, that you need to start killing your children if you want to develop like the rest of the world sort of thing. But how do you um, respond to that, I guess? And, and how can people offer some kind of foreign aid without coupling that with killing children, I guess? Yeah. The irony of that uh, statement is you actually need children to survive in Africa. Um, Africans are so pro-life. So, for example, in in Africa, there are only four nations in 54 countries in Africa. There are only four nations that have abortion, uh, that have um, abortion on demand. Just four, right? So that's because they recognize that children are essential to life in Africa. We are a very communal society um, or culture in Africa. Uh, now, of course, there's some differences, but particularly there's a lot of similarities in African nations. And we, we know, so for example, over here, the government can take care of you, uh, you know, so many things. You have the welfare system and that has its problems, but you, you know, have the welfare system and you have um, the government assisting with retirement savings and all that. That's not the reality in the vast majority of Africa. So a lot of parents invest in their children to support them in life, right? It's, it's, it's crucial. So if we actually want, um, we actually want people to thrive in Africa, um, it's essential. Because I mean, o over here, it's very rare for parents to say, well, I need you to take care of me when I'm older. Um, you know, it still happens. You know, we know there's still some form of that, but it's not as essential as it is in Ghana where, or in Africa, where a lot of people, um, you know, where, where the economy is geared naturally towards younger people. If you're an older person and you most likely have not been able to save money at all, it's very rare to save money in most nations in Africa. And then, um, the 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 job the, the job market is very much geared to young people who have the the physical abilities to do a lot of these jobs which require oftentimes just physical labor you rely on young people to provide for their parents uh, so job market in africa i think so the uh, the the economy in africa i think more than any other continent is heavily reliant on 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 people in their 20s and 30s more than any other so with Given all that, children are so important. Now, even if even if there were similarities, and even if um, young people weren't as important in Africa as they are, you know, it, you know, I, I guess it, as they are everywhere else. Um, of course, killing people to help people is a very how do I say this? <laughs> I'm trying to say this a kind of way, right? Like, it, uh, you know, whoever thinks it's okay to kill people should not be trusted to help people, right? You're disqualified. You don't you don't kill a life to save a life. That's not how it works. You save you save lives or you help lives by saving lives. You know, so there's so much that we can do. 
um, to help uh, people in Africa without killing their babies. There's so much we can do. There's a lot of corruption in Africa. And, and we know that, right? Um, everyone knows that the UN knows, but they won't tackle that because that's actually harder. But in their mind, it's just easier to just kill babies instead of doing the real hard things. Sam, you've told me in uh, private conversations a little bit about your story growing up in Ghana, some of the difficulties that you and your family experienced. And I know that when you spend time on the streets talking to people about abortion, um, you hear things like everyone in the pro-life movement has come from privilege and obviously doesn't know anything about suffering. I'm sure you've heard that before. Uh, Cam and I have both heard that. But like growing up, so for you, that's that's certainly not true. Um, and then and then people use suffering as a as a reason to justify abortion. So so you know that that's not true, um, and we know that that's not true. But I'm just wondering when someone uh, mentions that to you on the streets, how do you respond? Just imagine yourself on the streets right now. How would you respond to someone who say, "Sam, you're just a dude who you grew up in privilege. You know, not in the slums at all, but you're probably uh, some really rich dude supported by some really rich foundation uh, that's probably either conservative or Republican or Christian in some way." And uh, and you really don't know about suffering at all, and suffering should justify abortion. How would you respond on the streets, Sam? Uh, well, before I, I get to that, I'm a pro-life advocate. I'm definitely not wealthy. <laughs> That's not how <laughs> the pro-life uh, is not the most lucrative uh, career. Um, um, okay, so okay, so as, you, as you're saying that, actually reminds me of a talk I had with uh, someone. Um, just another maybe three weeks ago a month ago and i was talking to him and he said yeah look sam abortion is wrong but honestly i i don't i i would never want to tell a woman she can't get the abortion um even though he knows it's wrong and i i can't i use every argument i pleaded with him and he just wasn't i'm like, I'm like how you know it's wrong but yet you just don't seem to care at all and then um, I said to him, well, okay, tell me, how are you doing? How are you doing in life? And he looked at me and he kind of got emotional. And this is a black man, uh, by the way, uh, young, a young black man in his 20s. And he said to me, honestly, I've, I'm not doing well. I have a hard time. I don't have money at all. I, I, I struggle to have money to even you know, get on a bus. Um, you know, my mom and I, we are, this is what he's telling me, uh, mom and I, we're poor, we're struggling, uh, we struggle to pay our rent and everything. And as he's telling me this, um, I'll be honest, he and I both kind of got teary-eyed and I said to him, man, you remind me just like myself. Cause that's me. That's me. I told him that, look, man, I don't know who my, who my father, um, I know, I know who my father is, but I've never met him before in my life. And he had a very similar experience. Um, I told him that I remember days when I, I didn't have money. I, I used to wrestle in high school and I didn't have money to take the bus. And my mom, she, we were too poor. I didn't want to ask her and trouble her with that. Uh, $2 for a, a ticket was too much. So I would walk uh, two hours to school uh, at 5 a.m. to get there for 5.30 a.m. for wrestling practice. Um, I was telling him that there was one, there was one day where I went there, I walked two hours to get there in the morning. And then afterward, we had a second practice um, in the afternoon. 
And then I was walking home again another couple of hours. But this time it rained on me. It was raining. And I'm like, man, <laughs> life is horrible. Um, and then when I finally get home, I'm like, okay, well, now I can kind of dry up and everything. I'm trying to turn the lights on. Lights aren't working. We've uh, Our electricity has been cut off because we didn't pay um, our, um, you know, the, the bill for that, for that month. And I go, I go to the kitchen. My mom is sobbing in there and she just has a candle in there. And I'm just telling him the story like that, like it's, I've been there. I've been, I've suffered extremely within government housing. I used to live in a shelter with my, with my mom, my stepfather beat up my mom. And, um, that's why we originally moved to Montreal and then we left Montreal to come to Toronto because of that, because my mom was in fear of her life. So we lived in a shelter for almost a year before we lived in government housing for almost a decade before my mom was able to buy uh, her home. And that's in Canada. I have not mentioned Ghana, where in Ghana, <laughs> I, I'm a big, big man now. In Ghana, I wasn't a big man. I was a skinny, skinny, malnourished kid. If you see my passport, you would not, you would be shocked. Everyone is shocked when they see it. I was a poor, poor kid. We were hungry. We were so hungry that um, on my, I think my fourth or fifth birthday, I remember asking my mom for a gift. <laughs> and what I asked her was a simple egg, just an egg, just a, uh, you know, a, a hard boiled egg. That, that was all I asked for. Not a cake. That that wasn't going to happen. Just that egg. And my mom got me that egg. Um, but no, <laughs> we, uh, we, you know, and this is not, this is the reality of so many of us, right? You know, a lot of people, um, you know, think that the pro-life movement, yeah, they're backed by everything. But no, we're all coming from different, yeah, some people might be wealthy, but it doesn't even matter so much what's our background. We just know that abortion kills babies. Um, but yes, I've had, um, a difficult life, and I'm, but I'm grateful. And my mom knew that. My mom knew. Look, my mom was my mom and my dad when they were married, they were poor, and my mom knew that when my dad left her and left her with me and my older brother at the time in Ghana, in a very poor Ghana at the time. Ghana still poor, but it was even poorer at that time. She knew that she was going from very poor to very, very, very poor, but yet she said that she cannot punish me for my dad's actions. She cannot punish me because of poverty. She cannot kill me because her life was going to be more difficult in that way because she knew that abortion is wrong and she, her job was to protect me. And she knew that when I got older, I would protect her. And by the grace of God, that's what I'm doing now, where my mom recently told me there was some something difficult that happened in, uh, in, you know, in her life. And, um, with tears, she looked at me and said, no man has ever been able to take care of her and protect her the way that I have. Now, if she had gotten that abortion, uh, I'm not going to mention how many years ago, then people know how old I am. But <laughs> if she had gotten that abortion many years ago, then she wouldn't be in a position to say that now. And that's not because I'm this great guy. I'm not. But my mom is a great mom. And um, I'm, I then now have the opportunity to protect her. Well, I think you're a great guy, Sam, first of all. <laughs> um, and I mean, that, that is a beautiful, beautiful story. Thank you so much for sharing that. And, and I think um, one of my buddies who lives in Vancouver has a, a similar story um, in, in some ways. And, and I appreciate not only the eloquence of that, but also kind of the, the underlying principle as well, that regardless of whether you're coming from wealth or coming from terrible circumstances, we just can't kill humans. To, to respond to those those hard times. And I think that 
that it's important to recognize and appreciate the beautiful stories of those who have been in the movement. This, this guy, I remember, um, we were tabling at the University of Victoria, um, the pro-life club um, table, and this girl came up and, and started like absolutely losing it on him, saying that, that he came from privilege. And I, I literally thought that he was going to kill her right then and there because he had had such a, a yeah. difficult um, childhood and, and that sort of thing. But all that to say, I don't think that we need to be self-conscious necessarily if we don't have that kind of background, right? I think it's important and, and essential to recognize that people in the pro-life movement, people who are absolutely against abortion have come from those circumstances. But for our listeners, the, the lesson of this story isn't necessarily to think through your life for all of the hardship that you've endured so that when somebody comes up to you and says, you've never endured hardship, to have a, an entire list of, of sharing that um, with everyone. Right? You had a beautiful opportunity to share that with somebody that you built rapport with and and could share that to help them understand that regardless of background, um, you can't kill humans. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I, I'm just encouraging the listeners and and you can contradict me if I'm wrong, um, but but just not trying to dig up. Oh, you know, there there was this one time when I was like six years old that I didn't get the the Christmas present that I wanted sort of thing. Like, like, don't pretend that you've come from difficulty if you haven't. And if you have, don't necessarily use it as a club to beat people over the head with. But if there's an opportunity and if it's going to help somebody understand that regardless of background and circumstance, you can't kill humans, um, that's where it comes into conversation, right? Well, and even Uberforce, right? Uh, when we talk going back to slavery or the abolitionist, he had actually rarely seen slaves um, in in the UK, um, as did most of um, most. Uh, and same is true for most of the abolitionists. They didn't really see slaves in their daily lives, and many of them were actually very privileged individuals. But that didn't stop them. They knew slavery was wrong, and they rejected. Um, even a lot of the civil rights leaders. Many of them were not amongst the poorest um, of Black Americans. Many of them were actually from more of the "quote unquote" more privileged, um, you know, side of uh, Black America. But they used every resource they could to reject, um, reject uh, you know, systemic racism and Jim Crow. So, in the same way, you don't just use whatever story you have. Um, but always go back to abortion being wrong. So, so just very quickly, uh, one of my favorite stories is that um, a few years ago um, in 2018, I spoke to a young girl. I remember her name still because I, <laughs> I love that conversation. Her name was uh, her name is a uh, is uh, Arwen, and we were in Hamilton at the time in Hamilton, Ontario, and we were speaking. And then Arwen came and she was so angry. She's like, "Why are you here? Why are you here? Why are you doing this and this and that?" And I uh, just. Um, you know, talked about the human rights argument and everything. And um, she was, she was still where I came from, but she was still pretty angry. And then um, she said to me, look, Sam, I, um, I come, I came, I come from a very horrible background. I was a foster child and everything, had a hard life and everything. And um, I don't want, you know, children to grow up the way I did. I don't want that at all. It was horrible. And I told her, Arwen, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, that's hard. You know, I didn't grow up as a foster child, but I also had a very hard life as well. Um, so I definitely, I definitely wouldn't want anyone to go through what I did as well. But then I said to Arwen, um, I just joke with her. I'm like, you're going to regret telling me your story. She said, what do you mean I'm going to regret telling you my story? I said, well, Arwen, um, aren't you proud 
that you were able to have those difficult experiences, but then overcome that. And now be in a position where you are on your way to a great job. And then she looked at me and smiled and said, huh, yeah, I am proud. Yeah, I was able to overcome that. Then I said, don't you want other people to have the same opportunity to overcome their challenges so they can be as proud of themselves as you are proud of yourself? And she said, oh, yeah, you know, you're right, you're right. I said, yeah, like life is full of challenges, right? And we want to be able to overcome that. That's what every a good story is, overcoming a challenge. Um, you know, by the same time, I, now I, you know, I, I mentioned that to her. I mentioned my story to her, my, you know, similar kind of background, but I didn't even need to do that. It was really about me just addressing what was, um, addressing why she thought abortion was okay. If I was, if I had never been, if, if I've never gone through, um, you know, poverty or whatever, I could still say the exact same things. Uh, and in fact, as I said before, obviously my story isn't quite the same thing as being raised as a foster kid. We don't need to have the same backgrounds. We can just talk to people where they're at. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. It was uh, it was great having you on. If anyone wants to find Sam, where can we find you, sir? You can find me at uh, on Twitter or on all social media platforms as uh, Slow to Write. You can also find me in my blog, slowtowrite.com. And then you can find me at CCBR. Um, just uh, reach out to endthekilling.ca and uh, you'll find me there. Awesome. Sir, thank you so much for joining. Oh, thank you. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. Before we go, we have some pretty cool announcements to share. If you're listening to this on the day that we published it, which is Tuesday, December 1st, there is a Giving Tuesday event that's happening on CCBR's social media pages on Facebook, uh, on YouTube, and perhaps uh, a number of others. We are doing a number of live streams uh, or one live stream with a lot of staff members uh, to share a little little bit about the work that we're doing. Cam and I hope to be present uh, if you get there soon enough. I don't know exactly what time we're slotted in for. Um, Cam, is there a little bit more that you want to share about our Giving Tuesday event on December 1st? Yeah. So for those of you who aren't aware of what Giving Tuesday is, um, this is a follow-up to the day before Giving Tuesday is Cyber Monday. The Friday before is Black Friday. People often spend a lot of money on on preparing for the Christmas season, for stocking up for whatever it is that they need in their home. Giving Tuesday is an opportunity for people to prayerfully consider financial partnership with nonprofits and charities um, that do good work, that um, switching from the uh, mindset of preparing yourself for Christmas and preparing for the Christmas for your loved ones, considering how your financial contribution can make an impact in um, the world for better, as it were. Not that your Christmas stuff isn't for the better. I, I definitely don't want to be <laughs> stating that, but basically an opportunity for you to financially partner with um, entities like the Pro-Life Guys, like CCBR, to help us achieve our goal of transforming society. And so whether you're tuning in on the Tuesday, whether you're tuning in um, a day or two or even a couple of weeks later, maybe you're listening to this years down the road um, and I'm speaking to somebody from the future. Um, 
prayerfully consider financial partnership. Um, Peter and I and the work that we do with the Pro-Life Guys and with CCBR is completely supported and uh, made possible by the generous support of people like you. Uh, whether that's a one-time gift, whether that's a monthly financial partnership, we absolutely rely on the generosity of people like you so that we can not only ourselves go out and change minds and save lives, but also equip others with the tools they need to help us make abortion unthinkable in our society. So definitely check out um, all the content that CCBR will be throwing up on their social media platforms. You can donate on on the CCBR donation page and have it go towards the Pro-Life Guys podcast um, to help us continue to expand our reach to continue to equip more and more people with the tools they need to change minds and save lives. Cam, we also have a number of teasers. Mm. Uh, I guess we, we have new content that's going to be coming out starting January, the good Lord willing. Uh, I guess I guess you and I both have an announcement to make. So how about you kick it off and then uh, and then I'll follow follow behind. Yeah, so an exciting announcement. I don't want to give too much away, but we're we're going to be starting a new series in addition to this regular Tuesday content that highlights some of the incredible people working within. Uh, we'll, we'll start out at least with the Canadian pro-life movement. We were certainly open to expanding it and just having conversations with people who are out there on the front lines, changing minds, saving lives. We think this is super valuable because we don't want you guys to think of Peter and I as being more than we are. Yes, we go out, we have conversations, we see people change their mind. Um, yes, we've got a lot of experience. Yes, we've we've had a lot of training on how to do that. But this isn't something exclusive to the CCBR staff. This isn't something that only Peter and I are able to do. This is something that everyone can do. And we want to bring in people who are just as awesome as Peter and I, if not more awesome, because they're doing this in a volunteer capacity, because this isn't necessarily their full-time gig and kind of highlight some of the incredible members of Canada's pro-life movement. Again, I, I'd love to expand this beyond that. And so we've got a lineup of people that we're ex excited to highlight. If you want us to highlight somebody, if there's somebody in your community who goes out and has conversations about abortion that you want highlighted on this program, please um, connect us. We are always excited to connect with more and more people who are um, part of the pro-life movement that is changing minds and saving lives. Um, Peter, what do you got? What's your announcement? Yeah, we, so, uh, again, um, so you, we haven't, that's a new series coming out. Uh, I'm also announcing a new series. So I guess two new kind of like mini series that are coming out. Um, we'll probably be doing an episode every month. Is yours going to be one a month as well, Cam? No, I'm hoping that mine will be once a week. I'm hoping that we'll, okay, we'll pump sweet. this out every Thursday or Friday. We, we got a ton of incredible volunteers in Calgary alone. I'm sure, Peter, you got a bunch out in Ontario. Um, oh, yes. Kyle's got a ton. Kyle and Maddie have a ton in um, Manitoba. We've got people like Sean and Michael and their team out in Vancouver. I'm sure there's countless more volunteer-led groups throughout Western Canada um, and across the country. So. I'd love to do this. I'm sure that we could do one a day and and have a, have a huge list, but I'm I'm thinking once a week. Sweet. Okay. So mine will be once a month, um, and it's going to be about pro life news that's happening around the world. So did a country pass a law? Did a, a something big happen in a country at any part of the world? Um, we hope to talk a little bit about it. We might provide a little bit of commentary as well. But this a particular series is to give you a bit of an idea of what the what some of the wins have been, what some of the losses have been, and uh, and perhaps where we can go forward. Um, that would be the commentary. So we're we're still deciding whether we are going to be adding the commentary or not. 
Um, but this will give you an idea of what is going on in pro-life communities all around the globe. Um, now, this content, you'll, I mean, it's not going to be unique to us. You'll be able to read about it in a lot of different articles. Uh, you'll be able to read about it on blog posts, and it'll pro probably be on social media as well if you follow pro-life stuff. Uh, but we want to gather all of the content, put it in one spot, one 15 to 20 minute episode and have it accessible for you. So that'll be coming out every month, um, end of the month, beginning of the month. We're not sure yet, but do keep your eyes open for that. Uh, we're pretty excited to be sharing these, uh, this, this series and also the one that Cam's doing, um, with you guys and we're doing it for you. So let us know what you think. Let us know if this would be helpful. Um, and, uh, as always, just let us know if you're listening or if you want to, you know, to hear an argument. Uh, if, we, if you want to hear us discuss how we would respond to an argument on the streets or in a conversation or anything like that. So do reach out to us. You can do that on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. Just search the Pro-Life Guys podcast. You'll be able to find us very easily. Check out the Pro-Life, not the Pro-Life, check out ProLifeGuys.com. That is our website. And do su subscribe to our podcast wherever you find your podcasts. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, CastBox. You name it, SoundCloud, we're there. If we're not there, do let us know. But I think we're going to be there at this point uh, in the game. So thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, before we go, though, Cam has one little action point for each and every one of us. Hit us up, Cam. And it is a regular action point. Um, we want people having conversations. The only way that we transform our country is by engaging the public. And whether you do that through the projects that we're leading, um, through the, the volunteer teams that we have in various cities across the country, um, whether you're joining us to, um, for our choice gene events, including abortion victim photography, or whether you're just having conversations with your friends, family members, or colleagues, we need people engaging Canadians and people around the world. Um, I, I know that we focus on Canadians a lot because that's where our heart is. That's also where our boots are because we live in Canada. We need people around the world having conversations about abortion. So over this next week, please have a conversation with somebody about abortion, even if it's a short one, even if all you do is walk through the four questions of the human rights argument. Again, I'll repeat them. Um, do you believe all humans should get human rights? If something is growing, isn't it alive? If that living organism has human parents, isn't he or she human? And wouldn't that make abortion a human rights violation? Even if it's just those four questions, have a conversation. We absolutely need it. You might feel like everybody within your sphere of influence is already pro-life, but you never know who may be involved in an abortion in the future. We are all pre-abortive. We all need to be prepared with the sound um, reasoning and evidence as to why abortion is a human rights violation. So please have a conversation and let us know how it goes. Hello, Sam. That is dumb. That sounds oh, man, really we're going to dive right wow. into it. Hi, Sam. Uh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> right off the bat, right? <laughs> Yo, right I'm not bat, messing yeah. around. We actually we actually mess up on purpose so that Maddie can get some good clips to add at the end of, <laughs> at the, end of the show. No. There really wasn't a question there. I'm sorry, Maddie. Um so <laughs> just trying to tie that together. My bad. Um <laughs>
<laughs> that's one of those mistake examples. Sorry, Sam. Um, the whole like Michael Scott, I, I just started talking and I figured that I, I would eventually come towards a conclusion and, and a question, but it just didn't come. And I was like, well, uh, nope, nope. Sorry. <clears throat> I have flaws. What are they? Oh, I don't know. I sing in the shower. Sometimes I spend too much time volunteering. Occasionally I'll hit somebody with my car. So sue me. <laughs>